her out of there. Go, Delta, move now. Episode 224 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by my fellow movie fan co hosts, Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening, folks. Supremely good to be here. Thank you. Supremely good. <laughs> Supremely. <laughs> That's right. It's the Diana Ross story tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hope you're feeling supreme. Uh, yeah, and all other associated puns. Actually, it's because we're all eating chicken supreme. Well, I'm not some vegetarian, so. She's eating like I don't know cauliflower, corn supreme, cauli- cauliflower supreme, or some shit. Um, I don't think I've ever had that. Even when I did eat meat, I don't think I've ever I had that chicken dish. I don't but, know if I have. Listeners, tell me if I'm missing out. It I don't sounds know. like chicken supreme. If you go to a restaurant, chicken supreme's quite expensive, right? Is it's it? like it's a luxury option. Yeah, it, they've managed Is that to. Why make, it's called supreme? It just sounds like something you get out of a packet, doesn't it? Well, yeah. yeah, probably it does. It sounds, it's like, like chicken tonight. tonight. Yeah, it's the budget option. Try out. That's very nineties, isn't it? That's a very nineties option. Do you think chicken um, isn't actually that expensive, is it? So why why would it be that particularly expensive? I don't know. No, don't know. Was it here in the UK we've got the uh, the Platinum Jubilee coming up, and there was a thing on the, um, one of these magazine shows that you have on TV about um, coronation chicken, um, and how like obviously in the forties and fifties and everything it was more of a luxury dish because chicken was really quite expensive, and obviously throughout the years it's you know, also the chicken, and the, you know, the meat and the ingredients have actually become more widely available. So obviously prices come down and people are able to try it in their, in their own homes. So yeah. Salmon that, uh, was super expensive when I was a kid. Well, yeah, this is it, exactly. And now it's, I mean, it's still a little bit pricey, but it's not like, you know, a delicacy that you bust out for special occasions sort of thing. It's something you can eat more regularly. Oh, you'll see what, you'll, you don't know what I bust out on special occasions. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, well, I don't know, like lobster or something. That's our review of local, that's our review of local chicken dishes. Uh, what are we covering tonight? So yes, tonight we are reviewing a second in the Vaughan franchise, The Bond Supremacy, starring Matt Damon, Frank Patente, just very briefly, Joan Allen, who is amazing, uh, Brian Cox, Julia Stiles, who is also amazing, Martha Sokas, and before they were famous roles from Carl Urban and Michelle Monaghan, whose name I spelt with three L's. Um, Right, the score. Um, I'm the same as last week as well with music from Moby with this track Extreme Ways playing over the end credits. Script by Tony Gilroy. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the one. Yep, sorry. And directed by Paul Greengrass and released in 2004. Paul Greengrass, uh, I I was really trying to think, did I know him from anything before before this? 
Heartbeat, exactly. Yeah, heartbeat. He did do bloody. <laughs> he did do bloody Sunday. That's um. That was like a TV show, though. I mean, it did premiere on on a big screen. Known for these, well, he's yeah. obviously. That was a James Nesbitt. Um, yeah, he wasn't really Nesbitt. known for these kind of films, so it was a bit yeah. of a left field decision. Yeah. So, I mean, Bloody Sunday's really good. It's got James Nesbitt in it, who's probably still best known for Cold Feet, but those of you not from this country, he was one of the dwarves in uh, the Hobbit films, but one of the more minor ones. Yeah. He was in the Hobbit films. Well, I never knew that. Well, that's because he is one of the more minor ones, to be fair. He's the Irish one. Yeah, he's the Northern Irish one. He's the Northern Irish, yeah, fair enough. I never knew he was in those films. Oh, my gosh. When we come to review them, I'll be like, I didn't know he was in it. I didn't know they were in it. Well, you won't, because we just told you. No, uh, <laughs> although the lead dwarf was best known for spooks, wasn't he? And he was yeah. also the guy who, um, the guy yes. who killed the guy who made Captain America. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so, like I only recently found out that one of the guys from um, uh, uh, Flight of the Concords was in it, and I didn't do that until a few years ago. So was in what the Hobbit? Um, oh, all the Rings films, I think. I didn't know that. Don't ask me which one. <laughs> um, well, well, I don't. I don't. We'll come to them in, in due course. Well, we've got a flight of the foot, the flight of the Concord series. Um, seeing Michelle Monaghan in this, she's got slightly more screen time, but it's very like seeing Gerard Butler in Tomorrow Never Dies. To to call them a constituent part of this film is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, it's more like and a it, cameo. It, it, but she's not famous enough for a cameo. But I suppose Kiss Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang was the next year. Yeah, that would probably be uh, like her sort of breakout role, I suppose, as it were. And then Mission Impossible 3 was like the year after that, but obviously... And, and, and she Gone Baby no... Gone as well, that was like... Oh yeah, a... Gone Baby Gone, that was, yeah. got, that was 2007, and I'm sort of thinking, was she literally not known in 2004? I wasn't, I was, I wasn't aware of her being in there. Like, uh, what's the, 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 the chap who's in the last film, who's, um, oh, who's in Tarantino films, he was in The Shield, what's his name? Um, the one who played Vince Mackey? No, uh, no, no, in um hang on, I'll, I'll I'll get his name. But it's like, you know, it's only, it's only because like now you recognise him that he stands yeah. out. Before you'd just be like like another like actor. I think uh, it's the speed she hit it big in that like I wouldn't say she's an A lister now, but she's a comfortable B lister. Yeah. And yeah, she got really famous really quickly. I mean, similar with yeah, Urban the, as well. Only, she only did four films before this, one of which was the Diane Lean film Unfaithful, which um, has also got Josh Brolin in, I think. And I think Viggo Mortensen. I'm not even yeah. sure on Josh Brolin now. I might have got that wrong. But anyway, uh, and Viggo. Walton Goggins, that's what I was thinking uh, of. Walton Goggins, that was it. I'm actually thinking of A Perfect Murder, which was based on a very similar plot because that's based on Dial M for Murder. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. But it's only about a fifth film, right? And then the following year. So that was his other um, Hitchcock remake. Yeah, yeah. So the following year, she did Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, which probably made a star of her. And you, yeah, she'd, you'd love her as, as Santa at your party. And uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible 3, then Gone Baby Gone and The Heartbreak Kid, which she was the lead in with Ben uh, Ben Stiller. And then it was Eagle Eye the following year when Shia LaBeouf was a thing. And she's a star. And um, it, she wasn't the year before this. Funny, she was in Mission Impossible 3 because she shares a birthday literally to the day with um, Kerry Russell, who was in that film. Oh, fun fact, fakes. That was when I was researching women around my age, you know. For research purposes, reaching out to them. Hello. I was just saying, just thinking, what was possible in an alternate universe? Um, <laughs> no, but um, 
so she so she's to say she's in this film is factually accurate but in the same way that it's fair to say Gerard Butler's in Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, he's it, it on is screen a, for like five seconds. Yeah, a few times though, unlike Gerald Butler, who actually had a line but appeared Yeah, once. he had like a scene, one line, and that's it. And it's like, oh, sure, shut up, Butwood. So. I think of this era, I mean, the, again, Carl Urban, I was thinking, it's so low-key and he's speaking with an accent, so you think, is this before he was famous? You know, because it's after The Lord of the Rings. Um, I suppose it's, the, it's, it's like where, cause I, I've not seen this film, like, probably since release unfortunately and i was like oh carl urban oh mm, really you know and i was like I totally forgot that he was in it and obviously it was one of his you know coming off um australia or new zealand tv show um done a few films before this and this is kind of one of those roles that kind of really you know brought him to att- attention and well he was in lord of the rings before there. this wasn't he so i think that's why I yeah that was the, that was the big film definitely he was i'm trying to remember what his role was in it though we'll he was them, he was one of the you know the, the horse Yuma? people he, he was the horse okay. he was the horse no he, <laughs> he was, was the horse. he was one of the casting unzipped and they said yep yeah, you can he was, be a horse he, he was one of the rohan uh, Maybe. Oh yes, he was. That's he right. Was. Same, same as Bernard, whatever he's called, who was the king. Yeah. I always go to say Bernard Breslin, but he was the guy from the Carry On films. Yeah, not, and, and the guy and, from Boys uh, from the Black Stuff. And not Bernard yeah. Lee. And not, not Bernard, Bernard no. Lee. Or Manning. No, I, I would only it's talk. A job about, I wouldn't take Bernard Lee's name in vain. When we do do the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings movies, we'll go through all like all the cameos, all, you know, because obviously they're star-studded. Everybody was in those films. Um, yeah, exactly. it'll be quite interesting to look at all the bit parts, all the cameo roles, all the you know, all the sm- smaller roles. You know, less smaller people. roles, I suppose. I, yeah. I, I don't mean obviously probably that, but like all those sort of like minor characters because you know, get some really big stars um, playing quite minor roles, which I think is really interesting. So. Well, that leads me almost onto my next point, uh, just about uh, actors in this, in that it, it's always very difficult to predict who becomes a star, and it, it isn't necessarily about whether you like or dislike them, because I always found. Not to sort of, not even, I don't want to call him what Kermode calls him, but uh, Orlando Bloom, I find bland. He, I think he's correct on that. But you would have thought after Lord of the Rings, young, good looking, was on sort of calendars and magazine covers and shit like that. You thought, well, he'll be a star. Um, and he's still known, but, but he never became a star. I suppose a little bit like Miranda Otto. She turned up a few years later in um, War of the Worlds and, and not a lot else. And I think... The, the, yeah, the... it's is quite it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you've got Top Gun out at the moment and John Hamm's and that. You kind of think, well, after Mad, after Mad Men, he yeah. would be amazing. He'd be everywhere. And you don't see him in nearly enough films. I mean, that's his choice, or you don't know what, quite what's going on there. There um, is an just like, yeah, world how, where he got... Um... It's quite interesting to see what happens, or... I always, John, I always thought John Hamm would have been a good alternate for Ben Affleck as uh, Batman. Yeah, he'd be quite cool as Batman. Yeah. I just think we need to see him in more films and TVP, so uh, John Hamm's agent, get on with it. The thing is, I think with John ha- John Hamm, he, he's perfectly fine, but that's it. He's just perfectly fine. There's, there's, have you I, seen, have I, you I seen do Batman, not, Chris? Uh, I haven't, no. Check it out, it's really good. I, I, I'm, I'm sure, but like, I, I'm sure he's like one of the things he's suited for. But I think I want to say literally like, suited for. Yeah, I, but well, I think... if you watch Mad Men, you'll you'll see why I can see him as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah definitely. I would agree. Um, with whereas it, I, I mean, talking about Top Gun, and maybe we'll cover Top Gun one day. Maybe Chris and I will have enough to do a summer special this year. Who knows? Do it, do it. But um, well, we haven't been able to in the last couple of years. But I, I did go to see Top Gun Maverick, and he's not well served by that role. He's not bad in it, but it's it's a pretty one dimensional quasi bad guy in that it, it's just a guy in a position of authority that will clip the wings of our hero oh. so he becomes he becomes like the villain by default i suppose yeah, he doesn't like maverick he's, he's, he's like a passive um antagonist he's not like yes. 
It's not that's like... the best way to put it. I mean, the, the, uh, there is no villain in the film. There's well, no. two. There's two sort of passively. Yeah, the, the other one would be Hangman, who's an asshole till the very end of the film. But you can see that coming a mile off. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm very positive about it. But that film does not do him any favors. If you go and see like Mad Men, it, it's um, it, he. I think he could do most things because he could do humor as well. But uh, the point I was linking to this film in the. Um, Whatever happened to Julia Stiles? Yeah, I would like to do the same. She was amazing. She did a lot of like teen movies as well. Well, she um, did 10 Things was, I Hate About You. She did an amazing you. remake. Um, and after, cried out probably about 10, 15 well, she years did, ago. She did 10 Things I Hate About You. And then between... <laughs> yes. between um, she's done other things, but things that stand out to me, as, and people might remember now, is obviously she was in The Born Identity. And between that and this, she did um, Mona Lisa Smile, which was a Julia... Roberts. Yeah, you know, that was a really good film. I it was Julia Roberts' vehicle, and it did fairly well, as I recall. Now I might click on it on the link to it and find it did no money, but I remember decent marketing around it. And then the year of the year before the Born Ultimatum, which uh, they only made it so they could release it on the six of the six of the six, was the Omen remake. <laughs> oh gosh. And and there, kind of, it it stalls. She's got like no. a, a role in Silver Linings Playbook, but that's five or six years later. And then there's a load of stuff I haven't really seen. Now, it doesn't mean no, that... I think she was known... Um, what was that dance film she was in? I'll try and find it. Yeah, somewhere on, a, on the filmography. Well, I mean, she's she's in a film called Save, Save the Last Dance. Dance. Yeah, that, that was it, definitely. It. Hey, MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss. Well, this is it. She was, did a lot of teen movies, a lot of, you know, teen romance films, everything in sort of uh, mid to late 90s, obviously really, yeah, but I just really popular a, with that I, kind of, you know, people of my generation kind of growing up. I, I uh, never watched the MTV. I've, I used to watch the MTV Video Music Awards, right? I never watched the MTV Movie Awards because by the time I got really into films, I was too pretentious for that. And all I think of when I see MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss is Tropic Thunder. Oh, when not, Spider- start, not Spider-Man, no. When, when at the start, they take you through the Robert Downey Jr. characters. Uh, like they, It's a trailer for a film starring him and like I think it's Tobey Maguire. And it takes you through his filmography, uh, you know, the star of an Academy Award nominated for Chaplin, <laughs> BAFTA Award nomination, and the winner of MTV Best Movie, Best Movie Kiss, Tobey Maguire. No. Oh, yeah, she was in Dexter. Oh, my God. How could I forget she was in that? Oh, my God. I never watched Dexter. Um, what? you got to check it out. It's really good. I'm, 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 I'm still I'm, I'm watching NYPD Blue at the moment because I well, found no, that on Disney+. Important. Plus. Then I found, I'm watching Only Murders in the Building, the Steve Martin vehicle. I've got to check that out as well. I haven't oh got God. right. I'm, I'm trying well, to get can, down to read Reacher. The They're quite easy reads. Um, and what else is it I'm watching at the moment? There's several things, honestly. I've, I've Yeah, there's too much. There's too much TV. Yeah, there is a lot going on, isn't you, there? You cannot watch it all. I've kind of given up on a lot of... Because um, I think... So, because some of it is like it's the the hype's kind of gone. So some of it's so yeah, like... you missed that hype train. I mean, it's like um, we've currently got a new series of Stranger Things. Um, obviously, it's going to be the last series. I think I I haven't oh, I watched like, I watched, like series one and like two, it. but then the third series I just dropped off entirely. Yeah. I dropped out uh, series one half a dozen episodes in. I thought, well, this the, is the it. Fact, I mean, I've only really just got around looks... to watching Obi Wan series. Um, I've seen there's that. There's a new Chippendale film out this weekend. I just got to watch that. I got funny looks because I was watching it at the gym. So oh, I, had, I, I had it on my phone, so I'm there doing weights, watching like Darth Vader and that. Spoiler <laughs> alert, if you haven't seen it, Darth Vader's properly appears in well, episode 3. Uh, so now I'm watching that. What else am I watching? What else is on at the moment? 
I've just finished Moonlight. There's something else. Miss Marvel. Oh, yeah, Moonlight. Coming... I need to see that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but there's something else I'm watching episodically. What else is coming out weekly? Oh god. Yeah, there's uh, so much out at the moment. MIPD Blue? No. <laughs> no, I watched that years ago, but it dropped on Disney Plus, and it's one of my favourite shows of all time. When I say that, the first season and a bit is among my favourite of all time. Not really after that, to be honest. It still stayed sort of a superior cop show. But no, it's, it's that first season arc, which, like, it was before proper episodic. It, it was when ep- TV was a lot more episodic. It, was a, it had this whole story going through the first series, which it me- melded with the sort of episodic as well. But yeah, I'm you had to watch it, didn't you, for each week? Yeah. For it to really kind of make an impact. And then I get films through from sort of set the tape to watch. I was watching a 1920 fucking silent film today for them. I can't remember what else I was watching. Miss Marvel does start soon, I know that. Oh, Better, yes. Saw, Better Call Saw finished last week. Oh, that's the one. It was the mid-season break. It comes back in July. So, yeah, I, I've been watching that as well. So There's a lot of TV. It's like, where do you find, you know, yeah. where does one find time for and, this? And that's not taking into account my, my wife might like to watch something else. So I'm watching quite a lot of, like, MasterChef Australia and stuff like that. Yeah. Or even take the dog for a walk, you know, get out and do your day job. <laughs> We've gone through who's in this. Um, I guess I don't want to say an awful lot at the outset in that, except that this is where the hype sort of starts. But it's not necessarily reflected in the results in that the first film came in, at, I think, 60 or seven, 60 or 65 million. Can't remember without looking, but I know I said it in last week's show. So if you're listening to these in sequence, you may remember before me before me. And it took about 214 at the worldwide box office. This is 75 and 290, which is not a massive upgrade, just considering there was quite a lot of hype around this film. But maybe I'm misremembering and the hype was around Ultimatum and it was more anticipation for this. Like, you know, the Empire magazine, you know, several page story inside and talking about it and why they were bringing it back. Yeah, like if you, well, no, Twitter wasn't around, but if you were on Twitter, it was probably one of the things like it was hyped up around there rather than amongst Well, the it's public. a bit like if you judged it by social media and stuff, Snakes on a Plane should have been like one of the highest grossing films ever made. Oh um, because there was so much talk around it and it, it did okay because we're a relatively small community of people talking now what I want to say is it's doing better it's a it's a year it's a fallow year for Bond and, and on the normal cycle as was then in that they hadn't even well they hadn't even got rid of Pierce Brosnan at that stage no they uh, had a couple of years before we saw Bond on our screens I don't remember how good a year for film it was it was the year of Troy if I remember correctly it was the year of Spider-Man 2 Ooh. What else came out in 2004? Do we remember? Uh, oh, um, well, mm. actually, I remember the summer itself was a bit crap. I think that's what I'm getting at. I yeah, think it, was it wasn't great, was it? Because I think the big, the big, main big film was Spider-Man 2. And apart from that, you had, like, King Arthur. Um, Which was terrible. Um, I mean, obviously, Shaun of the Dead was this year, so, but that was like early. Yeah, that was that's, early. That's a small film. That that's basically spaced fans going yeah. to see it at that stage. Uh, you had like films like Collateral, which um, um, Die Another Day, The Maturian. Die Another Day did not come out in two thousand and four. No, I know. And your, <laughs> and your, and your Bond fan card. <laughs> the Maturian Candidate know. remake, uh, Man on Fire. Uh, None that... of these are massive films, though. Nice. I mean, Man on Fire is quite. I've uh, got a big following though. It's, it, it was popular. I'll give you that. 
Uh, Kill Bill, Kill Bill Two. Well, Kill Bill Two was early in the year. Yeah. But I'm looking at it now. Top ten films of the year. How many of these were super like anticipated? Uh, I I Robot again. That's Uh, Shrek Two. This is highest grossing films of 2004. Are based on worldwide gross. Okay. Um, Shrek Two at number one. Now Shrek Two was somewhat anticipated but shrek one was a bit of shrek was a bit of a breakout hit i think it was almost like wow this sequel's better than the first one and it had legs harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban which is actually the lowest grossing harry potter film spider-man 2 the incredibles oh that's good again it is but it's a new ip which tells me there's a little bit of like pixar's hot right now but also it had legs yeah next film Passion of the Christ. Oh, of course, because that's released over the Easter weekend. Well, in stateside, a lot of Christians went to see it several times as well. And it, yeah, it's probably panned quite a little bit. Well, what I'm saying is, again, that wasn't a film everyone sort of got excited. No, everyone got behind. Uh, Meet the Fockers at number uh, at number seven. Not even Meet the Parents. Meet the Fuckers, the very shit sequel. Careful. Troy at number eight. Shark Tale, which was a very, very disappointing um, mm. Will Smith sort of animated vehicle with Robert De Niro in. And at number 10, Ocean 12. That, to me, is a slightly anemic year. Yeah, it's, it's full of, like, you know, very, very kind of um, sequel, sequel, sequel heavy, like existing IPs, some new yeah. IPs trying to, you know, trying to break through. Team America's in there as well. The sequel overload that we have at the moment. Team America's not on this list, but I am looking at highest grossing, and I, yeah. I can't imagine was that, that would have been the most. That's 04 No, it was 04, 04 oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, in terms of quality, you know, uh, not too bad at all. I mean, there's plenty of films in there that did pretty well. The Aviator Sideways, which was a film that shocking a few people saw. Layer Cake. Cake, Vera Drake, Ray. Uh, the Jamie Foxx film. Oh, yeah, biopic. Uh, which was really good. Closer, which I liked. That was a really uh, good film. Closer was good. Uh, Clive Warren was in that. <laughs> Eter- Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is still one of the most interesting films I've ever seen. Van Helsing. I think if we ever do a Jim Carrey, Van we'll have Helsing. to do that. Honestly, Kate, Kate, uh, Kate Beckinsale. I need you to say Kate Blanchett, and then I need you to say Kate Winsley. Kate uh, Beckinsale <laughs> was so bad in that, I thought it was a parody. Her accent was so bad. It was all over the it place. It reminded me of Heather Graham's character in Bowfinger. Oh, God. Kit, Kit, you forgot your kiss, Kit. <laughs> it was like it was some pretty bad. terrible accent. Um, so it's a weak year. And against that background, the Bourne supremacy only shows a fairly modest improvement on the first. So I think what we're saying is next week, strangely, is the breakout, which retrospectively makes this an even bigger hit. Yeah, that kind of... Again, we're still in the DVD boom. So uh, the Bourne Supremacy did very well at home, on Sky, you know, and uh, foreign equivalents. This is pre-Netflix. Well, it's pre-Netflix as a streaming service anyway. Um, I think we probably still had the rent disc rental at home. Well, we, we, back then, we, I had, we had Screen Select here. Screen Select. Um, yeah, what was right. it called? Like, oh, it was Amazon, and then it, I can't remember the name of it. You had screens. You had several, and they all they all got bought out by Screen Select, and I think Netflix may have bought them out in the end. Yeah, but then it was Amazon for a while, wasn't it? What was Amazon it had a service as well. Oh, it'll, it'll come to me. It'll come to me. Yeah. At the end of the podcast, yeah. I'd be like, ah, it's this. So, yeah, if people wanted to see a film again and they didn't want to wait a year for Sky, they bought or rented the DVD. So this film was a very, very decent hit. But bear in mind, it's 18 months, two years on from a Bond film that did 150 million more. 
it's a couple of years before a Bond film that's going to do 300 million more. So when you remember these Bond, these films as absolutely setting the agenda of the decade, it's more in influence. And by the time you get to the third film, when everybody had to see the Bourne Ultimatum to see what was next. Do you guys see it when it came out? I saw it when it came out, and unfortunately, like many films, I haven't seen them since. So it's a refreshing experience to see this again today. Yeah, I saw it at the time, and I remember specifically sort of watch it, um, watching the screen sort of like kind of move and thinking, oh, this is all handheld. Cheeky <laughs> um, yeah. cam. But um, yeah, but again, like, 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 back at, like the Bourne films haven't really been ones that I've revisited, even though like I'll, I'll buy them and I'll own them. I've never really found the urge to kind of rewatch them. Well, I don't watch The Lord of the Rings that often, and I think, although we t- we couldn't talk about more different films, we're not doing. I don't think we got Lord of the Rings next. I think it, I can't remember if it's Lord of the Rings next or or, or the Westerns. I will check my list, but it's within the next series or two. Oh, I've, uh, I've got it written down here: uh, Born, Tolkien, then Westerns. But we can always switch it. We can always no, mix it up. Tolkien, right? So if it's Tolkien next. Do, there won't be much crossover with this, but I think the one point of crossover, I've always said that that whilst they, they, they made an effort to finish the Bourne identity in a place that had it been, had it would have had to have been a commercial, uh, uh, sorry, a critical hit for them to care. Uh, but if it had been a critical hit, but a commercial flop in that there might be some respect on, on my work here in years to come. Uh, they wanted it to be fairly self-contained, but I think the fact is um, once you've seen them all, and you know that obviously Marie goes early in this film. It's very hard to watch the Bourne identity self-contained. So I think one, that means you're in for three. And they're rather exhausting films. They're not super long, but they're they're pretty in they're in pretty perpetual motion when they get going. Yeah, they're quite frenetic, aren't they? And uh, you have to kind of obviously the not films you can kind of put on in the background. You got really got to pay attention. That's what I think it is, Chris. I think it's just you, you're in for one, you're in for the all, and yeah. I know often you want to watch three hours of shaky cam car chases and running, and um, there's You'll not be in that a, mood. And, and also there's not a lot of levity in them, and I, I wouldn't say I find them heavy. I think that I think they're very good, and and there's I wouldn't say there's humour in it, but get some sleep, Pam. You look tired, or get some rest, Pam. You look tired. Is actually levity. It's almost like a little slightly humorous note to finish on, even though no one's looking for a laugh. It, so it, I, I it, it's more of a yeah kind of like badass yeah, like, ball. Yes. But I, what I'm saying is that there's not a lot of levity in these films. But but when I but it wasn't a complaint I had in mind to put out when we recorded tonight. Yeah. And when I raise it for films, I normally raise it as either a complaint or a limit. So, for example, uh, I talk about Matt Reeves's Apes films as as lacking levity. Uh, certainly, the second one, and I do mean it as a minor knock on the film. Uh, a very minor knock on the film because I like it, but it, but it is yeah, but with this, it's not a yeah, but, but it might explain why you don't go back to it very often. But mm. it, it's just that it's just it's got an exhausting tone to it, um, and I, I haven't revisited them as much as I would have thought I might have. And that's the same with Lord of the Rings. You, you, you know, Fellowship finishes in. It, it, I remember I'd never read Lord of the Rings, and we'll talk about all this in a few weeks' time, but I'd never read the Lord of the Rings when I went to see Fellowship. <gasps> and it finished, and I was sort of like, I was a bit like, I knew it was a trilogy, but I was also like, they're leaving it there. And that's because I had no idea really of much about the story. 
And uh, I, I think so. When you watch Fellowship of the Ring, you're in for three films. If you mm. and, and it could be eleven hours, depending on what version you watch. And I think there's a bit of that here. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's always another, especially with all the rings, because or films like that, because you, 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 it's almost like The Godfather to the extent. It's like, you know, you're not just, you know, not not everyone's just gonna just slap it on just because they feel like it. It's like it's all concentrate. It, 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 well, it's, it's a bit of a commitment, isn't it? It's like oh. Like you know, so if, if if me and my wife are like decide, oh well, my wife says, oh I'm, I'm going to actually watch Lord of the Rings today. It's like well, that's our day, uh, but that's that's us for the day, isn't it? <laughs> and, and also, I mean, it's like if there's two of you as well with Lord of the Rings, it's one of those films that because there's so much of it, sometimes if I mean I've wanted to rewatch them and I will be rewatching them, but I'm I'm always like. My wife has said she'd like to see them and like to see them again and thinks she's seen them all, but she can't mm. quite be sure. But I always feel a bit guilty because I think if I put this on in two hours in and you're like, they're still walking and like, yeah, you've got, only got another nine hours to go, you know. Uh, I Sometimes you're a little bit like, do you mind? Are, are you sure when you have someone else to think about as well? Mm. And I, I do think there are films that you just you just can't put on. The Godfather's a good example. We did watch all of those within the last six months. I remember saying to you when we recorded our reviews, which were four or five years ago now, and I said to you, um, I, I hadn't seen them for four or five years, and, and funnily enough, another four or five years later, I have watched them again. And it was great because half hour in, I was like, you okay with this? You enjoying it? And she was, she was wrapped by it and then watched all three and really, really loved them. But yeah, if you put something on in half an hour in, they're like, "This is going on a bit." You're like, mm. mm-hmm, "Okay." And I think the other thing as well is sometimes there's a social element to a film if you don't live on your own. There's like, you know, we've got the day off, the night off, the weekend off, the week off. Let's have a few drinks and watch something tonight. Well, if you're gonna have a few drinks and watch something, you don't really want to watch The Godfather. It, it's not. It's not like a pizza and beer film, no. is it? Really. But yeah, I saw this on on opening release, and and I don't, I don't think I watched it opening night. I don't think it was a race to see it. In that, I've I, I've got very few films in your life where you have a mental image of yourself sat in the theatre. There's a few where I just remember being sat either with someone or by myself, and it was a certain time of day, or other things happened that day, or the film stood out to me. I don't have an image in my mind, but I've got a feeling in that I think I went into a fairly quiet screening, which tells me back then I didn't live that far from the cinema and I wandered in one afternoon. And I don't recall being that blown away from it by it. I'll go into first thoughts now, actually, in that for me, this film was was really, really good. I mean, I, I had very few reservations about it i think matt damon was was just as good if not better in this because he loses somebody in this and and these snippets are coming through to him and 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 some of the plotting was really good the the him being in the wrong room where they go and attack a room because he's trying to get into a specific room and we'll get to that later i thought was really good the car chase, I, I think, might be... I've got a soft spot for the mini chase in the first film, but I think the car chase in this film might be the most visceral. And again, I'll make a point about car chases next week because I don't think they're anything like as fast as they look. But this was the most crunching. I think Carl Urban certainly was 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 more uh, intimidating than Clive Owen, uh, as was Martin Sokus to some degree. I, 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 he's the sort of person you, you would you would almost cast as a sociopath, even though they're, they're kind of not. Brian Cox is is just so much worse in this. 
Uh, Pamela Landy, you know, the Joan Allen character I loved. But I think the point is, it did feel a little bit like more of the same. It didn't feel as feel as self-contained as the first one. And so there was nothing about... The, what what I came out feeling was that Born as a Property had been enhanced by this being added. But I didn't have the same response to this entry on its own that I had to the first one. The first one was much more of a pleasant surprise, much more safe, self-contained. On rewatch, as I come back to it now, actually, I think this is the better film. Uh, even standing alone, I think this is the better film. I actually think it's smarter plotted. The first film is 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 very well plotted, but it's him wandering around going, I don't know who I am, and slowly having bits revealed to him. And it's very clever. But the whole framing of him here is, I think, a step beyond that. Little set pieces like him going to a certain room because he's got fragments of memory and he, the lack of a full memory is actually what saves him. Um, and so whilst it was a sad to get rid of Frank and Patent, I think they played off each other very, very well in, in indeed. I felt, I, I felt almost a bit more, what's the word? I felt a bit more danger here somehow, which sounds odd because they're chasing him in the first film. But in, in this film, he's almost striking back at them. But yeah, I, I felt uh, I felt that the organization he was working for was more outwardly dangerous than they were the first time round. They were out, you know, they were after him, but that's because he's a loose end. And you do think that there's a chance here that they may he may be able to explain to them what's going on somehow and save himself here. If he walks in, he's at it because this is this is there is something very very rotten at the heart of this organisation, and so well, yeah, yeah. So he's being used as a well, he's, he's being used as a he's scapegoat. being used as a fool, yeah. But obviously, he doesn't know, quite know this to mm. start with. I think all of that is great, but flaws and human flaws in it. In that, if they hadn't framed him, if they just frame, you know, they they frame him, but then try and cut him off again as a loose end. And it's like, he's the other side of the world. Frame him. Frame him and then just leave him alone. Jason Bourne did something. And then make a half-assed attempt to catch him. You know? Um, but that's human frailties. I think Brian Cox is brilliant because Brian Cox can do anything. I mean, he played Daphne's dad in Frasier. You know, he can do very, very funny as well. Mm. You know, he's the sort of person, he's an alternate casting, but I I noticed, um, I noticed on, it just dropped on Netflix today, in Bruges. He he could have played the Brendan Gleeson character in that quite easily. And that's all I wanted to say. The film as a a whole, I think now, on reflection, is probably a stage further developed from what we got last week, and therefore better... But a bit like The Empire Strikes Back, you might prefer the first one because the second one's less self-contained. But even though when I came out the first time going, I think I liked Identity more, the very fact that this gave me more, much like An Empire Strikes Back, left the series in like really good health after I'd seen it. What about you guys? Oh my god, yeah, I, yeah, I always struggle after following Dave because it's just like... I, there's not, not really much more you can add, really. Um, yeah, I'd, this is a long time ago, you know, kind of like finishing uni, starting, you know, starting a new job, like going traveling, stuff like that. 
um, it's quite a long time obviously I saw this film as you know cinema when it first came out um, I think because I sort of read, you know read the book uh, the first film and obviously the being quite different as well um, but I think also from um, from production point of view for this film um, I think it was just at the time it was just intended to be you know we weren't intended to have all these sequels and it to kind of be like a, a sort of mini franchise of what it turned out to be obviously with the with the spin-off TV series as well um, I think you know they just obviously just set out to make the first one and then they said, oh, you know, obviously it did, it did okay. So they, they greenlit the sequel and then ended to tie everything there. So when obviously we get the, the next film, you know, next week, um, they were like, oh, crap, what do we do? You know, you have to kind of, you have to work around this epilogue. Um, but yeah, I think I remember, yeah, I remember going to see this one. Um, and I think for me it is, uh, yeah, I'd agree with you, David. It's kind of one of those sequels. I mean, the first one, you know, is brilliant. Um, it was very innovative um, and it certainly kickstarted this kind of, um, more gritty, in inverted commas, um, realistic kind of action film um, genre that we kind of that we see today, and obviously as we did kind of argue, sort of kickstart this, you know, seeing it a through line through to the the Bond reboot. Um, had we had maybe like a campy '60s infused, you know, Bond thriller, maybe we would have gone back to like Roger Moore '60s style, '70s style of, of Bond film. Who I'm knows? just picturing <laughs> her drowning in the car and him coming up to the surface, crying for a moment, and going. Wait a minute! I'm single again. <laughs> <laughs> or some quip, you know. You never. Know, it could have gone completely different, and we wouldn't have had the dirty it's Daniel. Personal Craig. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you've got to swim to the surface with like a, a seagull or something, you know, a seabird. So, have we just set a record? Because we've just mentioned the Playboys again. <laughs> have we set a record for the most mentions of a short fucking comedy skit ever? Hey, it wasn't except that short. Perhaps, except perhaps the like dead parrot or something. <laughs> Probably. It, it wasn't that short. I mean, it was like you know, good, a good Every six minute, minute <laughs> good six minute sketch. It, yeah, it's, it's very famous, you know. <laughs> Everything on sixty nine, my favourite number. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is just such a good skit. So it's <laughs> that's brilliant. Unfortunately, when you look it up, it's all like um, it's like standard definition now. You'll find it on like YouTube, but it's like. Off a video cassette that was. It looks quite grainy. Was already a bit degraded, you know. Mm, It it doesn't look great. I don't know if there are any HD versions of it that exist anywhere. But yeah, you try and look it up now. It does kind of look a little bit like. But but then it it suits the time it was trying to parody as well. So so. It does. That's true. I suppose. Randomly restored uh, the 1992 comedy skit The Playboys from episode two, season two of uh, Harry Enfield the television program. Please write (laughs) to us and expect us to talk at gmail.com. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, maybe we can tweet. We can tweet them. I don't know if he's on Twitter or not. And say, oh, did you know? Is there any chance of releasing the series in HD? Yeah. Or maybe you suggest network. They might like to restore it. They do a lot of um, yeah. of, of HD restorations. I know they're working on the Jerry Anderson back catalogue at the minute. Um, just had a, a nice HD. No, we haven't. A nice Blu-ray release of Stingray. So hopefully Thunderbirds coming next in the correct aspect ratio. <laughs> Very excited. Thunderbirds Anyways. is coming in what? Sorry. <laughs> Well, we don't know. This is just a rumour. Hopefully they are working on a HD Blu-ray remaster of Thunderbirds. Um, and like for, on but, home release for years, it, it was an incorrect aspect ratio. So so Thunderbirds are going blue? What's on BritBox at the minute um, is actually in... I mean, it's in like, you know... It's, it's a really good version, basically. And is that's that Thunderbird 2 in, I think that's in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Yes, it's a Thunderbird 1 in your pocket. So I've got, to, I've got to, to ask, right? I know we're going well off the topic, but what aspect ratio was it in, and what aspect ratio should it oh, be? Oh, gosh, so I've got it... Uh, I'll tell you at the end, because I've literally... I've got them here somewhere. Oh, no, no, because I'm sure I've borrowed the, like... I've got to dig it out. Hold on. In the bath. I would have thought it was, like, 4-3 aspect ratio. 
No, so it's basically kind of like letterbox mode, where you've basically got like the yeah, it's letterbox. So you've got like so it's been strips. incorrectly cropped. It's been incorrectly cropped basically, um, and the only place you can see it um, is if you import the Japanese DVDs. I do believe it's shown on the correct aspect ratio on the Japanese home release. Um, and there's any home releases over here so far um, have been incorrect, um, but I do believe the version on BritBox that is currently being streamed um, is correct. But I can't remember if that's HD right. or SD. So but is the D- is the DVD version effectively SD? Effectively, yes. I just upscaled a bit. I did actually have it, um, but I gave it away. Um, I'll just see if I can dig it. I've got my pi- my Anderson pile right here. Hold on, hold on. Oh, it's going to take some time. Amazon pile. Anderson pile. <laughs> from Amazon Prime. Oh god. No. So a few years ago, I. I won a competition to win the entire back catalogue. Um, How long is this back catalogue? Because you say entire, it's not that massive, is it? Uh, since 1959. Um, I think the only thing that was, wasn't was included. Um, Do you mean all subsequent versions of Thunderbirds as well, like Thunderbirds Are Go? Because Thunderbirds, the TV series, wasn't that many episodes, was it? No, so I think the, the, first, series, the first series was like 26, 25, 26. Um, and then obviously it got cancelled halfway through, well, halfway through, um, series two. Um, right. Lee Grade basically said, no, no more. Um, go make Captain Scarlet instead. Um, so Captain Scarlet came on instead, did it? Oh my God, this is turning into the offshoot of the Jerry Anderson. Yeah, to be honest with you, Bourne's just a chase film. We'll, we'll cover that in a couple of minutes. <laughs> I know we go, I know we do go off a tangent, but this is one hell of a tangent. We might have to do a bonus content about this. So that only ran for 32 tangent. episodes as well. Well, if, if, yeah, if, if we ever do it. But, um, so, uh, like... I mean, I mean, Komodo Mayo, they go off and talking about all sorts of nonsense. They go off and of nonsense, so, a so, I mean, it's the, it's the thing that, like, podcasts do. It's what we do. And for, like, forward on a bit and just see if we're still banging on about Thunderbirds <laughs> if we don't like it. Otherwise, I like... Remember. I do think it tells you... If you don't know, one. nearly seven years in, we tangent and balls to you. <laughs> right, so anyway... Captain what Scarlet. were we talking about? I don't know. So when was Joe 90 then? I'm so much for was... Joe 90 to be honest with you, the Thunderbirds. Well, that's... No, so that was towards yeah. the, the later end of the run. Um, so obviously you had... Um... Oh God, stop You want to go all the way back to maybe sort of late 50... Are you 50? No, this is where my, my knowledge kind of starts failing me a little bit. Um, Roberta Lee, basically kind of a bit of a polymath, try to, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune, write, direct, produce, right. do the voices of that kind of thing with um, Twizzle, I do believe. There's only one episode of that which survives and it's on YouTube. It's very grainy. Um, and then but that was obviously made through a company called AP Films, Anderson Provis. Um, and then obviously they broke away and made his own production team um, and then came up with things like um, Four Feather Fools and Five Legs of Five. Um Ah, it's all going to fail me now, I'm afraid. All this nerdism. Um, and then obviously you've got like, Thunderbird, Stingray, uh, Captain Scarlet, which are the big three. Um, and then obviously with... And obviously you've got developments in property as well. So like with um, Captain Scarlet and... Uh, uh, with Thunderbirds and Stingray, you've kind of got like really... Obviously the cartoony looking characters, with, like the big big eyes and the big heads. Yeah, yeah. And then with shows like Captain Scarlet, you kind of start to move towards re- more realistic proportions. Um, and then you have sort of things like, um, obviously, uh, J90 as well, which came towards the end of the Super Mario Nation run. Um, and Secret Service, which kind of, it kind of, um, not very successfully, kind of mixes live action. I um, had heard of that uh, one. With Super so Mario so Nation so as well. everything, really. 
Brilliant. and that was towards the end of it and then obviously you kind of get into the live action which is obviously space 1999 um ufo the protectors things like that for example as well um and then towards the 80s you get like the resurgence of what was super macro nation macro nation even um with, like terror hawks um oh. which i love because it was kind of around the same sort of time that i was born like like 80s um and i kind of think jamie anderson as well so yeah. but anyway if you want to go if you want a complete history go and listen to the jerry anderson podcast i highly recommend it it's fantastic it's been running for um oh god three, three four years now i think since 2018 but yeah nearly four five years now um hosted by jamie anderson and Roger James, who was in Space Precinct, who was in like one of the last Space live action Precinct, series. That was the one with Simone Bendix in it. Cause... Simone Bendix, yeah, that's it, definitely. I never Very watched it over once, and I remember 25 years later. <laughs> like, I never kind of really watched it at the time because that was towards the end of like my fandom, and I think it was around that sort of time when obviously it was coming up to the anniversary. So they sh- they showed like all like the big three, like you know, Tea Time on BBC, that sort of thing, and then I think on Sky maybe it's when they showed it because at the time it was like the most. Uh, most expensive TV show that had ever been produced, um, and yeah, I think I seem to remember it on Sky and been thinking, oh, you know, there's no puppets or whatever. It's um, some of it was an, like animatronics, for example, that was a little bit oh, not not too sure. But somewhere there's um, there's a compilation DVD that you can buy, um, starring um, Shane Rimmer randomly, um, and the pilot would t- turn out to be like Space Police, and obviously that would eventually become Space Precinct, for example. So that's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, no, it's kind of just Richard James, seen... Officer Orin, underneath all that makeup. So he's pretty cool. I've only um, seen one episode of, the, of uh, Thunderbirds all the way through. I was lent the box set and I watched the first one, which was Trapped in the Sky, which I must, have, which I liked. With it's the amazing. One, That's my favourite. With I love the one it. caveat that it was, it did feel really long. It's, it is quite long, for example. Yeah. But then also, then you got Thunderbirds Argo from 2015, which was the um, CGI live action blend from Meta. Doesn't that ruin it though? It being CG isn't half the charm. It's being no, I. It's kind of split the camp down the middle, really. Like a lot of fans that I talk to, are similar to myself. Like they do, we love it. I think it's you know it's re- it's done really faithfully, um, and mm-hmm. they're, they're, you can't really see the join so much. But then obviously there are there are the you know the diehard purists. The same with Bond. You know, same with any sort of fandom who might have grown up with the original and thought, oh no, it's not as good. Yeah, there are Bond fans who literally don't like any of the same films I do. Well, no, this is so, it, that's part of fandom. You know, it makes well, us all diverse. But you know, it includes. Um, Oh god, I was gonna say Buzz Aldrin about that, but that might not be true. But he appears towards the very end of the series um, as Jeff Tracy, amazingly enough. Um, but also, um, oh god, uh, Matt Zimmerman is in there. He he pops up as a character. Obviously, he voiced Alan Tracy in the original. Um, it has the you know, ton of celebrity voices. Bob Monkhouse. <laughs> oh, in Thunderbirds of Gold. Oh, that's 1966. Sorry. No, that was, yeah, that, yeah, it's, yeah. It's obviously the new series that I'm ready to do. But yeah, Bob Monkhouse randomly. Um, he well, pops he, up in the film. That's why he was so tanned. He accidentally varnished himself. He varnished himself. <laughs> so this is he, it. he said, you're going to play a puppet right best varnish on them. He's a Ron Seal man, you know. Yeah. Oh, so God. Chris, this, what, this what it says on the tin. So, Chris, what do you think of the Ponzi oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I mean, I never watched Thunderbirds, so... Um, no, no, um, so... <laughs> Literally, oh, my God. If any if any of like my underfan nerdy friends listen to this, my information is so dead wrong. It's literally just pulled up the top of my head. So I can only apologise. Um, 
but literally go and listen to other podcasts if you're a fan if you know if you if you grew up with that kind of stuff even in the 60s or the 90s and you want to know more um definitely go listen to that joe anderson podcast i can highly recommend it um i want to know more but i can't watch everything that's the problem no this is it's too I much can't keep up also i want to I can recommend to... at the end of that podcast as well um if if you follow youtuber chris dale he does really amazing um sort of comedy videos um and also he'll take you through like um backstories of uh, various Anderson shows um, about how they were made and he also produces these primers about like you know if, you, if you've never seen Joe Knighty before he's done a primer video on it telling you all about it how it got made plot points things like that for example uh, various mashup videos like there's there's a hilarious one of um, Captain Scarlet which is set to I like trucking from not the nine o'clock news really randomly <laughs> Um, but he does a show called The Randomizer where he basically he sits down in front of a random episode of, of an Anderson show um, and chats about it and basically gives you thoughts and little production tidbits and what happened behind the scenes and um, how it was made, things like that. Um, I haven't even had time to get to the new so Bond. So yeah, that, that's yet. a separate podcast all in its own. So that's a, that's when when did beast. the new Bond come out? Five days ago. With the time yeah, I think a few days ago. With the mind yeah. kill. I haven't got to that yet. So like, uh, it's just too much. You can't watch and like, listen to no, it. No, this is it, yeah. So I'm, I watched, I'm, I watched I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi through. at the gym and I watched the end of an episode of NYPD Blue I was watching while I was like getting changed. So that's a strange image. You in a gym, like <laughs> ready to get in the shower with simple, it's interrogating somebody. <laughs> so yeah. Shirt sleeves. It can get, can get for every, he gets results. <laughs> he gets results. That was Homer, wasn't and it? Then he, he pops up in one of the Psycho sequels. So is, there's, a, there's, a, there's a series that we could do right there. Is he called Tubi or Tuvi or something like that? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's like the, the manager. Before he's running the hotel. Back. And he, ends up, he, he, gets it in, he gets it in the eye, I think. And of course, he played Homer Simpson in that he film. He did. Evil mm-hmm. Homer. Oh, Pupper. Yeah, so Chris, what do you think of the porn series? <laughs> <laughs> that was like the biggest tension we've ever gone. Well, I, we even got back to asking him and still went home. off. I think that's my fault. I mean, personally, I, I'm not much for, for uh, Captain Scarlet myself. The thing I the, the thing I remember most about the, those Jerry Anderson things is like uh, how it went from like puppets and when I have close up of someone's hand, it was actually like a live action someone's hand. It's real hand. <laughs> yep, they use real hands occasionally uh, and sometimes yeah. real bum. <laughs> and, and and what? A real butt. Sometimes you see a real butt. Obviously wearing trousers. Yeah. But no, sometimes close up ET are like lots of real hands and things like that. Yeah. So. Well, that's yeah, just, that's just cheating, that, isn't it? I always I mean... find that a bit unsettling, to be honest with you. The one that always I always found like, wow, how did they do that? As a kid, was Land of the Giants. Well, it's really obvious. Oh, good, yeah, that's really amazing. Obvious how they did that, to be honest. They just built big things and stood a long way from <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I quite enjoy you know, those um, Ray Harryhausen movies with like the really early kind of stop motion. I think I think that's really cool. I know that's obviously now it seems like a little bit hackney, but I just think it's incredible. You know. Yeah. So Chris, what do you think of the? <laughs> anyway, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So let's actually get to uh, Jason Bourne. Um, yeah, the Bourne supremacy. <laughs> oh Bourne, the Bourne supremacy. The Bourne supremacy. The Bourne supremacy. Yeah. Um, Second I, one, Chris. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather enjoy this I one. I can't believe this. I do apologise, listeners. Oh, my God. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, what's over? So, um, yeah, um, lots of shaky cam. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, no. It, uh, um, to kind of pick up what everyone else has said, uh, it, I think it, this is where it kind of starts to, like, pick up, uh, step up its game. Um find its footing a lot more. Uh, I think generally, as they've alluded to, the story, I think is a lot more... Pe- I think I think while um, it's well done in the last film, the, but the idea of 
having your um, protagonist be like not knowing who he is isn't as is a, is, a, is a problem you have to overcome but it's something you don't have necessarily here yes there's loops in his memory but he knows all intents and purposes who he is to a degree you know you, you get, you kinda, he, he's got his sense of bearing and it is essentially he's got a motive of revenge as well which is also very universally understood he can be like right fine well, they, they, they killed his bird so he can <laughs> to put it broadly <laughs> Yeah, it's personal now. my manner. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, they, 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 they killed the, the woman who he loves, or like his, his basically... Oh, the one he's been doing for a bit anyway. His, yeah, his chance for a peaceful life, you know, is like, you know, kind of like, oh, well, you know, one good thing he had is now just been taken away. And that's like, right, okay, well... Now he's on a bit of a rampage, so um, yeah, I think it's not because the the action scenes are a lot. There seems to be quite a lot of action scenes. I, I quite, um, I was quite surprised. I didn't remember that it seems to be quite consistent, and they seem to have a lot more. Um, that the, the, the there's there's a lot more to them as opposed to la- last last week, which is a bit more uh, smaller, uh, smaller scale. This, this this seems to up the stakes a little bit more. Uh, it, it seems a bit more. Um, it's a bit more country hopping, isn't it? Yeah, you got you've got more kind of like memorable villains as well. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you got Brian Cox in the fir- first place. He's he's basically taking on the um, uh, the what Chris Cooper role. Chris Cooper role, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I remember years ago. Just I'm trying not to tangent too many more times, but I remember when Brian Cox did. A, there used to be a TV program on. I think it may even have been the late '80s, where they would do like they get famous actors to like do an acting workshop. Uh, Michael Caine did one, and I know Michael Co- uh, Brian Cox did one. And um, I remember reading like the newspaper the next day, and it said Brian Cox is growing more into Albert Finney as he gets older. It's like I think Albert Finney's in next week's. Yeah, he, he, he has grown to look more like Albert Finney as he's got older. But yeah. yeah, he's kind of turning into that. I, I, I kind of get the impression you guys weren't really fans of Brian Cox in this film. No, I'd say quite. I'd say quite the opposite. I, yeah, I, I was going to say I quite. I, I, he's kind of known no, for I, I, you know, I kind think, of really kind of like slippery sort of characters no, and really sort of complex can, roles. Do I think he's everything. Quite, yeah, yeah he's, he's literally. And and in fact. I mean, Brian Cox, I think it was either today or yesterday was his birthday. I do look at IMDb most oh, days to see his birthday. birthday. So I think it could even be today. I, I, can't, I just can't remember if it was yesterday or today I looked. And this is 18 years ago, uh, probably shooting 19 years ago. And there's something so diseased about the soul of this guy that I remember when I watched it in the cinema thinking... I'm feeling a bit worried for Brian Cox. He, he looked mm. like someone who would like have a heart attack sometime soon. And 19 years on, he's had 19 years of good health. I don't want to go any further than that um, <laughs> with our track record. Um, <laughs> no, no. So I don't want to say he continues to be in good health. You know, he's, he, <laughs> but, uh, at the time of recording, we should, we have to give loads. Please of carry time. on. But he, he just there was something about the guy that was just. Is his, is his birthday and, today on, on yeah, day of it was He's seventy six today, so filming this, he was probably about fifty seven, and, and there was just and, something pasty and old and fat and weary. And I'm not fat shaming there. I'm just saying the guy did not look in good health. 
And... It's uh, Jonathan Price's birthday today as well, fun fact. Um... Oh, I'll let the mayhem begin. <laughs> And then tomorrow night's is, um, is screening for the PCC in London soon. That's what he would say when he's had yeah. his birthday cake. Yeah, at the moment. Had too many gins. Yeah. Oh, it's, I, 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 it's a few, but there's always a few birthdays mm. every every day, obviously, that are noteworthy on there. I noticed a couple today, and I didn't notice Jonathan Price for some reason. Oh, no. Uh, I remember going to see him on the stage, um, I think he was Fagan and Oliver, years ago, back in the 90s. Very yeah. good he was too. Tom Holland. It's Tom Holland's birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. Uh, Jonathan Pro- Amy Schumer. Jonathan Malin Monroe. It would have been. And Reddy Obergenre from Odo from... from um, oh, really? Yeah, it would have been. He obviously passed away. Yeah, he passed Power, away recently. Powers Booth. Uh, oh. Um, there's a he was in Avengers movie. Andy Griffith. Uh, that, that's it for the super famous ones. Oh, Gareth Edwards. You know him very well, and uh, Alan Morissette. And uh, so, anyway, Chris, what do you think of the supremacy? <laughs> I think we need to do a new slot on a new item on the show: celebrity birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> Whose birthday is it on the day that we record? Yeah. Well, we could do that, but that will that all that will expose us how, horribly. How late we are editing? <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So uh, to carry on. Um, yeah, yeah. Because Brian Cox is because um, the one thing I noticed about the last week. Um, that like the Chris Cooper role was kind of like on edge, a bit like the the walls closing on him. Here, yeah. it's Brian Cox, and he's he's like all nervous and on edge, and trying to like trying to cover his tracks and trying to be like all um, like nervy and thinking, oh shit, shit could hit the fan here, kind of thing. Um, just to kind of like interesting have the two kind of like crossed over into. <laughs> Whereas like I suppose last week Brian Cox was quite sort of um, authoritative and kind of like. Clean it up, I don't care, and just sweep it onto the carpet, whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, so there's that, yeah, you've definitely got more memorable um, villains, uh, you've got more of a clear kind of uh, plot, you know, you, the, you know, there's like, you know, there's the, um, you know, there's, there's obviously there's the corruption, there's the, the, the sort of the backdoor kind of like thing that gets more explained, you know, about the corruption, about paying off this guy to assassinate this guy, yeah. you know, um, that that plot as well, uh, you, as well as like the the actual CIA is trying to get to the bottom of all this. But you've got you yeah, that's the point. You've got you've got them sort of investigating themselves effectively, but you've also got someone who who is I think she sells you immediately. She's straight as a die. I think that's what I liked mm. about her in the Contender. That um, there's an element of doubt about what her character's been been up to, and and they play on that doubt. But I think as the audience, you're supposed to be, no, I believe her. And I believe that if there is something wrong there, it wouldn't be her fault or anything we should hold against her now. And Jeff Bridges in that film is making the right decision. And here, I think it's it's important that there's somebody with the right intentions at the centre. Yeah, I mean, she's, I mean, yeah, she's playing it kind of like, kind of formal, kind of like, but but then she starts off the bat, like, you, you, you she's introduced when, her man gets killed in action, and like the, um, and the and, and her like uh, investigation just goes up the wall. So she's like, right, what the fuck happened? So there's this it's instantly you kind of know where she's coming from. She just you know she just wants to get into like, you know, what's gone on? Who's this Jason Bourne? Who's, who's you know who's apparently done it? What's going on here? What's clever about that though is it 
we always talk about sequels and the, the difficulty in making them self-contained, particularly when these three films mm. are one story, really. The, these these three initial mm. films from the identity on. Um, she's a way in for the person who didn't see the first film. Yeah. Yeah, there is that, yeah. You, you know, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, there is that. No, nor have I until you said that, and I'm like, actually, yeah, that, that's it, really. She's a way in. Um, yeah, that's true, actually. Films that can disguise their... Um, films that can dis- drive the plot on while they're doing it, as well as slightly disguise the fact that there, there's an element of exposition always always like win points mm-hmm. to me. I, I, I love Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker, but the, the the actors do stand around and explain the plot to each other. Yeah, there's a bit kind of basal exposition there, isn't yeah. there, really? And, so. and they've largely avoided it here. Yeah, yeah, this is fantastic. Telling. It really just kind of drives things forward. It's one of those films like it's always yeah. it's it's constantly moving. Um, actually, there's you know a little bit of nuggets, um, a little yeah. bit of you know plot that's kind of driven through in in the script, but it's, it doesn't feel like you're being bombarded with information. No, because it's driving the plot on at the same time. The characters are learning things that the audience need to know, or telling somebody things the audience need to know. But the plot needs them to tell each other that as well, and, that, just and that's at, just perfect. Looking at like IMDb, obviously there's, I think it was obviously one like, screenwriter, but didn't this script for this particular film didn't it kind of go through lots of rewrites and different versions? Obviously, before, obviously, you know, the scripts do as as part of the process. But, but for this film in particular, in terms of the series, didn't it kind of have a lot of like rewrites? Or there are quite a few uncredited writers, I think. I, I don't know. I must say, I'm not. Uh, I've not, not looked into this too. Amazingly much. enough, I don't have a fun fact about it. Um, no, I, I. Funny thing is, I thought Greengrass was one of the sort of few changes in that. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about how it goes more shaky cam this week, which is true. But it is the same cinematographer. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Which which tells you that cinematography is not just that. It's a screenplay by Tony Gilroy. But yeah, Tony Gilroy last week as well. So it's a lot of the same people. But yeah, I, I don't know whether... Well, uncredited is uncredited, isn't it? It's it's like you go and watch Crimson Tide and there's Tarantino dialogue in it. Oh, that's so, true, yeah. So it, you don't always know. Um I think we have to leave it at that because we don't know what I did. No, fair thought. enough. I wasn't quite the sure. I thought you guys might have some Frank, knowledge. The other thing I didn't pick up on is Frank Marshall's one of the producers. Frank Marshall was a producer on the Indiana Jones film and is the um, mm. husband of Kathleen Kennedy. And they, they were a producing team for years. Obviously, That's Kathleen, Ken- Kathleen the, Kennedy. The, the, the thing is with film. producers, though, you don't quite know just how much involved they were. You know, like, yeah, is how it, much influence I they think have. you can infer by certain names, though. If it's Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, etc., they're normally hands-on. If it's J.J. Abrams, they're normally hands-on. If it's somebody who, you know, once, you know, happened to see one of the, the director at a football match or something, maybe not. I mean, we know Batman Forever, uh, Tim Burton was listed as a producer. He did nothing. We know that. So sometimes it's contractual. But Frank Marshall is a career producer. It's like a Robert Evans or something. I would mm. be pretty sure he'd be hands-on. What I can't speak for is under him is Patrick Crowley and Paul L. Sandberg. That, I don't even know who they are, so I don't know. We'll try and be more organised next time. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, you guys watching Anderson shows. That would be it. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll, I'll revise all the wrong stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just yeah, we'll be like looking at all the wrong things and mm. trying to find interesting fun facts. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yeah. Um, I know how to do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, as we start off, as in terms of plot, or, um, one thing I should also mention, um, what why this works, there's actually a sense of con- um, 
their their sense of um, as a conclusion to this. They're you know they you know we've like we established that um, Bourne has any like flashbacks of uh, assassination of assassinating like uh, in a hotel room. He has yeah. like a, he has a, like um, you start off. I mean, he's waking up. He has a, basically a dream, and this is what we kind of get into. Like basically, like his first kill, essentially. Um, that which kind of ties into the plot, um, but as of to what it is, we don't we don't know. Um, and then we go to Berlin, don't we? Uh, yeah, we do go to Berlin. I, I I mean, on that point, I do think that. Um point because the film does sort of end in motion in that like part three is coming and, and we're, we're, we're left in no doubt that part three is coming but because we start with this flashback it feels like an ending in and of itself mm. yeah it's like a conclusion of yeah yeah i can't remember i think berlin is the first scene isn't it um the somebody working for landy uh joan allen's character they're about to pay something in exchange for the Nesky files. And this is to do with some years earlier. I think it's just before the events of identity. I don't get the impression it was generations ago. Uh, it was during the lifetime of Treadstone anyway. And it would have to be because Bourne was sent on it and he was part of Treadstone. And we'll come to all that later. But basically, $20 million was stolen from the CIA. And um, they, they believe that the, the Nesky files, uh, Nesky being, well, we'll come to who he was later, uh, knew who did it. And what else do we want to say about that? I kind of probably, my, this is a, I don't know what to say or not because it sounds so stupid. Um, they're like my one critique. I mean, there's a lot of grey popping in this film. Yeah. But it's kind of, this one is from, it's not really a critique, I guess. Um but you do have to pay attention because you kind of go like sort of Berlin, Moscow, Goa, um, New York. It does take um, a while to settle down, doesn't it? it yeah, that, that's probably a better way of putting it. Thank you, Dave. Sorry. They, they, um, they should have done the Austin Powers, Powers thing. You, of, uh... you hit the ground running. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, literally. And now we are to London or now we go to China or, you know, I mean, it's, you know obviously, you know, growing up. London, England. <laughs> um, but it's, you, you know, you get to travel the world with this film, which is you know, which is not a bad thing at all. But it's one of those films where you, you know you can't just have it on in the background, and you can't even need the second one. But it just takes a while just to kind of get onto it, and you do kind of hit hit the ground running. Um, so you have to be a little bit like, okay, you got to focus, you know, pay attention, double seven, what's going on? Um, yeah, as I say, not not really critique or criticism, I guess. But yeah, it does just take a while to kind of, oh, you know, <laughs> get in there. So. It's, it's, it's good fun though, and it draws you in right from the very start for sure. So the just yeah. So the point is with this is someone goes to buy the file and they're sort of killed and the files stolen. Yeah, we we see we see it's um, well we don't know his name really, but it's it's um, it's Carl Urban playing a Russian. Yeah. Odd choice, but he kind of looks the part, and he's very slim at this point. Yeah, and he, he's not really he's it's not really a convert much of a a dialogue heavy role anyway. No, he only has to speak a handful of times. It's all about, and he does sort of mean and moody. And as I say, he was young and lean at this point. I'm not saying he's fat and old now, by the way, but he was he was thinner he's than he is now. He's been quite buff in some of his roles, wasn't he? Though more kind of muscular and more athletic. Mm. Not I say not that he doesn't look it here, but yeah, so his physique obviously... changes throughout his career. Yeah, so they were obviously going to buy these files, and they've been stolen. We don't know who this guy's working for at the moment. But somebody does not want those files getting into the 
into the hands of mm. the CIA, or certainly not Landy's team anyway. Um, uh, and they sort of blow it up, and it's and he puts a fingerprint on there. Yeah. To be honest, we're not told at the time, but you could guess, couldn't you? You could guess this is likely to be Bourne's fingerprint. We've got to have something to kick this film off because he's living in retirement. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it don't waste any time anyway. If you if you haven't, you, it 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 tells you like in fairly short short amount of time what what's going on. Apparently, obviously, because Paramount investigates, uh, they find a fingerprint, so they like kind of like, okay, well, where's this coming up? This comes from like a. Like uh, CIA, it's under the CIA, but it's like high clearance. So she goes to a superior and says, "Yeah, it's like it's like level five, and she yeah. isn't." She's like, "Right, what? What? You know, I need clearance because yeah, I need the clearance now." Yeah, uh, and the superior gives it to her because obviously, bear in mind her superior isn't actually part of Tristan. Um, so he's not, you know, he, he's not a part of. It. He's not trying to like keep it. He's quiet. got nothing. He's got he's got nothing to cover up at all. Yeah, he's reluctant to give it to her. But I don't think that's a major plot point beyond just reminding us that level of clearance is difficult to get. If he, if she'd walked in and said, "I need level five, and he said, "You got it," it was it wouldn't be such a big deal. She, the point is, very few people can ever see that that kind of information. Yeah, it, it's kind of like you have to. Yeah, she made a case for it, and he's like, "Well, fair enough. You need to know this to you know you know you need to get get to the bottom of this the, or and she sent she sent to langley to work on it directly mm. so she's going to be in washington hereafter yeah uh which leads which basically leads her to brian cox who uh who tells us that he's like you know a week from retirement uh <laughs> <laughs> it's better kind of a hackneyed hackneyed <laughs> yeah well he does make a mistake here and, and if i was so minded i could blame the film for it but human beings have weaknesses. I think what I would say is he's immediately far too defensive. I think he's all, he almost makes himself a suspect for something's amiss here. Yeah, he's got. He, you know, he's kind of he's done a dodgy deal somewhere along the line, don't you? you just think it's mm. kind of advertising it. I mean, he's he's senior to her in that he's got that level of clearance. She doesn't. He goes in to see her, and he's like, you know, he he kind of tries to make himself sound busy by sort of you know checking checking his diary in inverted commas but there's no yeah, diary. Yeah I'll see if I'm check. available. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes. And 20 minutes and he's immediately like you know you're not going to nail me for this and it's like hang on a minute she's hold on what? she's just coming to talk about something she knows you were involved with but you've not actually been accused of he's anything. Suspicious for something. And we don't know they don't know at this point it was an inside job at all. Mm. So that's a bit of a weakness. Um, I mean, I, I suppose, yeah, I, I suppose at the time I kind of read that as kind of like him not trusting her, like sort of basically like kind of throwing shit, like, oh, right, you're just going to try and throw shit at my my tenure kind of thing. You know, you're not going to try and like nail this bullshit on me kind of thing. I mean, I, sp- I suppose you might be right, but then I kind of read that as it's kind of... I don't think it's a flaw on the film. I think if you didn't like the film and you were looking for things to like pick at, yeah. you might pick at this because I think he's he's telegraphing too much here. Mm. Um, but effectively, what happens now is um, it, it sort of goes off in that where now what's happening with the, what who stole these Nesky files? Why is Jason Bourne involved mm. in Pamela's head because they found a fingerprint? So he's come in and murdered her he's agent. Been framed. And whoever Carl Urban works for, and we'll just call him Carl Urban, uh, whoever Carl <laughs> Urban's working for has now sent him off to clear up, to kill Bourne. Mm. So 
it's clear we know it's a plant because we've seen the fingerprint put there and the, the evidence yep. destroyed. But if we didn't know that, the very person who killed the agent has now gone to kill Bourne. So it's quite clear that Bourne is now going to be framed and killed before they can get to him and find it's either not true or he ends up killing anyone. Yeah. That's the point. And they're on, basically, they're living a fairly simple life, beach life in India. Uh, Bourne sort of runs along the street in the morning. She sort of goes to the market, that sort of thing. He's still got his agent training in that he's subliminally and subliminally, whatever the opposite of <laughs> subliminally is. He's, um, aware. He's, he's aware of his surroundings. If something doesn't look right, he spots it immediately. Uh, whilst running on the beach, he notices... Well, what does Carl he notice Urban. first? He notices Carl Urban himself, doesn't he? Yeah. The car's wrong, the guy's wrong, he shouldn't be there. He's um, dressed wrong, yeah. Yeah, so he goes straight to Marie, and they've got to leave, and he said, we, we got sloppy, or lazy, yeah. or whatever word he Cause, uses. Because he thinks we, he's Treadstone as well. He's not like he's not like, thinking of he's some like, Russian... He uh, thinks no. it, he, he thinks it's... Uh, he thinks it's... In film terms, he thinks it's the Bourne Identity Part 2. He thinks it's literally part of the whole trying to kill him off. They're still on the hunt for him. They're still trying to kill him off from the mission, the failed mission against Wombasi in the first film. But it's nothing to do with that. As it goes, Treadstone themselves, well, not Treadstone, but the CIA themselves have very little interest in Bourne. And, and in fact, the irony is all this moving place to place, without this Treadstone plot, it wouldn't have actually been necessary. Without... Brian Cox being the bad apple, uh, no one would have been bothered born at all. He would have been left alone. So they're driving away. Carl Urban's made them. He chases them. Uh, you end up with Marie driving and Jason trying to shoot. Mm. And to cut a long story short, she is killed by a stray bullet intended for Bourne. The, the, it's kind of like a... It's like a Range Rover van type thing, isn't it? Mm. Think the vehicles at the start of the Living Daylights. Oh, you yeah, it's kind of like a sort of yeah, right. Land, Range Rover, Land Rover type thing. That's I think that's quite shocking, isn't it? Because I, um, I remember sort of going to see the cinema and being like, oh, uh, gasping audibly when it happened, and then obviously not seeing it for many, many years, and then watching it again for this and being like, oh, oh my god, I totally forgot that she's killed off quite early on in the film. I mean, I, I always felt it was kind of telegraphed. I think you're like, yeah, you can kind oh, of really? see it coming. I, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no, well, no, no. Go on, Chris, explain it, how. It's, it's no, not. No it's one's not... saying you're stupid, Becca, because you wouldn't have gone in necessarily thinking. No, of but it's it. one of those things. Like, I think you can see coming or not, but I just, t- I totally forgot, and I was just like, oh yeah, oh my god. It's not necessarily like the film tells us this is happening. It's more of a like general reading going in, like you kind yeah, of go. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of it's a trope that's expected you, to happen. Yeah, you kind of think right, okay, so second film, like right, so. Bourne's, you know, it's it's kind yeah, of he, like he's going to be killed off this time around. It, it's kind of like a trope of, of yeah, type trope of, oh, of, I just don't of movies. I was like, oh, oh yeah, surprised. Yeah, it was kind of like you know, oh my god, she's a fembot. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think I don't think the film telegraphs it. I think the very genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah expectations yeah. are on the genre because what's going to happen because. Bond has gone through missions like Quantum of Solace, where he's had a woman in tow for a lot of it. Uh, but that woman, if he if he literally had to go through film after film with the same person, she wouldn't make it. She's not a trained agent. But Bourne can just about keep her safe for like the length of one plot of a film. Mm. But he's not going to be able to. She's not going to be able to follow him through like top level, highly trained action shit forever. It, it's it's either going to be two things. Either like she's killed off. Yeah. Or he he 
leaves her in in the area while he goes off and does his thing. It's yeah. even going to be two things. And Killing Rock, quite frankly, gives this character motive. It's the one thing the film, the rhythm section, got right in that, like, we can train you to look like an agent, but to do it properly would take years. Mm. Yeah. So I, I wasn't, I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised. I think it was one of those things I hadn't really thought about. Plus, also, she isn't much in the uh, in the, in the publicity as well. When she was hit, I would imagine I was surprised, but then your brain kicks in, and I probably thought. Well, no, that's pretty obvious, I suppose. What did you say, Chris? Sorry, uh, she probably wasn't in much of the publicity as well. So you kind no, of, like, so you kind of like anticipate, like, oh, I wonder where she is. She's probably getting killed off, isn't she? Yeah. Mind <laughs> you, that sense. doesn't always follow. We've seen how many Bond girls give loads of like, loads of like promotion for something they were hardly in. Yeah, like Spectre, for example. I mean, like the the lady who pops up at like the first few minutes of that, like she was did lots of interviews and everything, and like she's in it for five seconds. It's like oh, just this is, as a contrast. That's all. Anyway, moving no, on. Yeah, Next. The key point here is because uh, they go into the water and Bourne sort of stays underwater for a while, probably doing his Roger Moore impression with the Gucci attire. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I did think uh, that as well. Carl um, uh, Urban thinks he's dead, believes he's dead, and he meets up with his boss who will find out who his he's being paid off by. Let's give it away at this point. It's Brian Cox, obviously. Yeah. It's not so obvious on first viewing. At this point, he confirms Bourne's dead, collects his payment. Bourne is able to swim away from the scene. The one kind of moving bit is he burns all the... Uh, well, he has to burn all her stuff. Yeah, and the, and the one picture that we think he keeps of her, which I wonder who takes if they're there secretly, um, he's got a picture of the two of them together looking happy. Um, if you read a plot synopsis it says he keeps that photo at this point that's not clear because it cuts away there's a gap where he's looking at it almost deciding what to do and uh, yeah. so I, just... I, I assume that he keeps it because we, we see it that's the assumption at this point um, but yeah they find the fingerprint is um, uh, sorry they, he travels to Italy now because he just wants to find out why am I being targeted again hmm and uh, Landy's team are sort of investigating this fingerprint. And I, I don't understand how they find it's Jason Bourne, don't they? Um. So, yes, yeah, so she thinks, obviously, from the, the fingerprint, she thinks it's, at the moment, she's like, well, it's identified as Jason Bourne. Um, so he shows it's Tristan, which yeah. is why she's at Langley. Uh, I'm just trying to remember which bit because it's been a while since I saw No, it's alright. I, I mixed up with the fact that's why she went to it. and she When she's talking to Brian Cox, she knows everything about Treadstone. She's mm. had every file given to her. So she knows, and she believed that Jason Bourne was dead. She knows about men killed in uh, Berlin. When she said about uh, Alexander Conklin, mm. it's like killed in action. You can tell she doesn't believe that. But at this point, she thinks that like Bourne and Conklin might have been involved in something because mm. Conklin had an unusual amount in his bank account as well now that doesn't mean Conklin wasn't bent it just means he probably if he stole money he stole it on a different mission you know what yeah. I mean um, and that Bourne must be involved and they're trying to sort of cover it up and with Conklin dead so at this point she's not looking for Abbott she's looking for Bourne because she assumes it's him and Conklin yeah uh, so yeah, Bourne goes to, to Naples, Naples yeah. um, and he basically is picked up by um the security isn't he and that's but that, he does that, that deliberately yeah that, that's the thing if i'd never seen this film again and you'd said tell me a couple of things about the series like a couple of lines or images you remember 
one of the first things to mind was when Julia Stiles' character says, they don't make mistakes. He looks at the camera deliberately and he's made because he wants to draw them out. Yeah, because what he does, he sort of, um, well, he, he, he takes them out and takes the, uh, the, makes a copy of the SIM card so he can listen into the phone call. Yeah, so when they're, so when they're ringing him, he's kind of like, right, so he identifies Pamela and writes it down. But he also, but he also identifies that uh, Landy is sincere in her beliefs. She, mm. She's having an open conversation about Bourne killed these guys last week. And 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 she's like, and he's like, right, like killed. It, doesn't doesn't he, he 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 thinks it's it's because something he did. He generally thinks it's something he did. Well, he's still getting these flashbacks, yeah. so he's not he's not quite sure. He, he you know he knows it's not that because he was the wrong side of the world. He mm. knows he didn't kill who he's purported to kill, but he he doesn't understand why he's being drawn back in at all. Yeah. Um. You know, he's op- Yeah. As I say, he's detained, and he, he, you know, he, he, he sort of beats them up, and he's listening in. He learns her name, mm. phone number, and that he supposedly killed someone in Berlin. Yeah. So she's planning to get on a plane to Europe. Abbott's trying to sort of say, "Don't get involved," because he's trying to save his. You know, he doesn't want her investigating. She's clearly good. And so he heads to he heads to Germany, having these flashbacks. And he go he goes to meet um as he goes to meet that remaining Treadstone operative. What Nikki? No, no, the um... oh Martin Zokas yeah. character. Now yeah, because um, he, when... he just assumes they're killing off their um. Well, what does he do? Um. Well, fully forget. It's well, the only other remaining Treadstone agent. I know yeah. that. I can't remember his name, but it's Martin Zokas. Mm. And he says, well, the, the project's shut down. And he's like, they end up having a, a fight, basically. And he strangles him and then basically blows the house up. But he hasn't learned really anything, has he? No, I mean, it, I mean, it's funny because I always sort of, when I first saw this, I thought, he kind of resembles Jordan Crabbe from Living Deadlines. Yeah, uh, a little bit. A little uh, bit. Um, I was like, oh, bloody hell, he's, I thought, bloody hell, he's aged well. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, no, 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 no. It's, it, 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 it he's got, a, he's got a tiny bit of like Dominic West about him as well, just a touch, but yeah. nowhere near as friendly a face. And um, yeah, it, it. So yeah, it, it's just he's working his way around to ending up in the same place as these people. Abbott has gone to find uh, Nikki. That's in Amsterdam. And um, Landy, uh, but Landy forces Nikki to go to Italy. Um, yeah, and they need to cap to capture Bourne. So basically, though, you do lose track of what's when. It's the intercutting that's the issue. Um, we're, we're probably missing scenes, but basically, Bourne goes to Berlin uh, to find out where Pamela is registered. Mm. And yeah, they they know where Bourne is from his fight with the Treadstone agent. Yeah, but that was I think that yeah. was Munich. But they know he's they know he's in Germany, and he calls her. Yeah, and then says the only one I can trust is Nikki. I want to come in, and he says, "Well, what makes you think I can find her?" And he says, "Because she stood right next to her." Mm-hmm. So she's looking at him, but he hangs up in time. It does fall into that fi- film trope, which isn't true. Have you got sixty seconds to trace the call? Yeah, which is which isn't true in life. Um, or at it, least it's, it, not, it's, it's 30 seconds but... it's it's not a constant <laughs> anyway um, so uh, they 
yeah, he wants to meet Nikki, and this what does ends up being like a train station, doesn't it? Like a streetcar, like a tram, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it's out. It's um, yeah, it's um, a big place in um, it's a public square in like a transport hub in That's Berlin, um, and yeah, they. He basically sort of like takes. Nick oh, I see transport hub, so you go from tram to train mm. to yeah. That's that's why I was getting confused. Uh, so he goes to uh, so he basically takes Nikki and basically interrogates her, like scares the shit out of her, points and puts a gun across his head. Well, he wants to know why they're chasing him. He mm. assumes it's Treadstone, and he knows because she's like effectively like high level admin. Mm. She's um she's no risk to him, I suppose. But um, I think he is trying to sort of prompt memory as well, don't you? I think he is trying to prompt his memory, and he just get, he keeps getting this flashback, and he's seeing like a room number, mm. and I think he, he's heard the name Nesky. So yeah, he finds out where that took place. He's got the room number in his memory, and he goes there. At the same time, this is where at one of um, one of the people working for Landy or, or Abbott, I think it's Landy, just gets Abbott and takes him down to where these murders happened and says that the charges were done in a way that, you know, the ch- he just says basically it looks like someone's been framed. And if you, if you hadn't been paying attention, this is where we find out Abbott is definitely guilty because he kills this guy because somebody's onto him. Yes, because this was like his, like, you know, his... His second in command, wasn't it? It was just kind of like, you know, something's a bit. I always it. assumed it was Landy's staff, but that land member of Landy's staff did. That would make mm. sense because why would Landy's staff choose to talk to him? Mm. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, basically, Bourne may, manages to get away without being caught, even though they're all watching him. He's had his conversation with Julia, who's kind of wasted in these films anyway. And he goes into the hotel and basically asks for room 645 or whatever it is. Let's say it was 645. I think it was because I only watched it a couple of days ago. And he, he's told that's not available, but you can have 644. Yeah. Which is convenient because he goes into 644 and they've actually, she's read all the, she's read all the files. So she's worked out that it's to do with these murders. And they know to go to 645. Because they assume something in memory has drawn him back to where he did this. Mm. Um, and that's it. He manages to escape um, with it all happening sort of next door. Hurts himself a little bit. Abbott calls Carl, Carl Urban's boss and says the CIA's onto, the, onto us. Yeah, cause he, yeah and, cause, and then you find out Bourne's actually there. He's taped a conversation. And then he says you have to kill Bourne, otherwise this will get out. So yeah. we know. This was a plot to steal $20 million. He's probably had at least a massive chunk of it, if not the majority. And he's demanded they kill Bourne, and Bourne's behind him in his hotel room. He says something like, I suppose it wouldn't help to beg, and he says it wouldn't hurt. And he basically gives him, he admits everything, and he gives him the pistol. And he says, why couldn't you leave us alone? Mm. Um, I was halfway around the world. And then he says all the usual stuff about you can't deny your nature. That's a little bit sort of in the sort of tropes no, of the. No one gets out. Yeah. Yeah, no one leaves. No but one it's leaves. also, well, you know, it's a, it's a bit rocky, isn't it? You are a fighter, you know. Um, so anyway, um, he says, I'm not going to shoot you. Marie wouldn't want that. And he shows him that he's been recording the conversation, <laughs> walks out. He's already arranged. Landy goes in to meet him. Mm. Abbott kind of says he did. He did it, and he says he calls uh, 
the kid, the guy he killed collateral damage and then shoots himself. Landy listens to the tape. She knows that um, Bourne is innocent. But of course, um, Jason is still being chased by Carl Urban. Yeah. And he's and he's off to sort of basically sort of um, find out, uh, well, to basically make amends with the daughter who... He remembers the young daughter. This is a few, as mm. I say, I think she was a younger girl. Well, she would have been younger, seven, six, seven, eight years younger, whatever it was. But the point is, she looks that. That gives you the sort of time frame. It's, it's a little over half a decade, little under a decade. And... Um, but he's he's about to talk to her, and they notice her, and the cab driver who's taking him there gets contacted, mm. and disappears. And basically, this this leads into well, the big chase of the film, really. Yeah, with uh, with Bourne basically starts off being injured. Yeah, kind of like, Carl Urban's about to shoot at him, but he's detained with a gun by the police. He mm. reveals his secret service, which presumably he literally is, in much the way that the highly unethical Treadstone were CIA. Uh, he get uh, that gives Bourne time to get away, and it's just a sort of chase through a market streets, a bit of a mall, a station, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, Carl Urban steals a taxi, um, and it's just a big chase. Chase from here, isn't it? Yeah, he basically got the big sort of climactic car chase, um, which which ends in quite like a, a, a bit of a cra- bit of quite a bit of a crash. But surprisingly, Carl Urban survives. That's all I want to say about it, except for it's probably the most exciting car chase in, um, that I can remember. But again, I've got to see another one next week mm. and another one in Jason Bourne if we're talking about the Matt Damon films, because I really don't remember that Renault one till I watch it. Um, in terms of car chases, I mean, I remember things about the film. Um, but I, I, I do remember liking the, the two from the first film. And, and by the third film, it might be because it was the third film. I thought it was a little mm. bit here we go again, even though I enjoyed it. But the other thing is I read something, which I'll say now, actually. When they filmed the car chase in part three, it was on the streets of New York. And they weren't allowed to go over 30 miles an hour. And they edited around it. And with that knowledge, I went in with that knowledge because it was in like Empire magazine or whatever. So I think I was seeing it through that prism watching this film today i don't think they were going that quickly i think it is it is careful editing that does the work and i didn't find it as exciting i think what i find most exciting about it is two things firstly jason is injured so you're almost wondering if he's like conscience or his consciousness or um his left leg or whatever it is he's been shot in or his shoulder is gonna hang gonna hold up and it's the crash at the end where, where Urban crashes his car. That's a massive impact mm. or it feels a massive impact. So it's really crunching. You know, it, it's this film almost that killed Bond retrospectively because I, I don't think I don't think identity did it. But you get to here where a few months from Brosnan being let go and, you, and you're just like, yeah, this is like film with consequences in pain and blood within the PG-13 rating. I really did find this quite incredible, but he does, he does, he does get out. I mean, we're, we're, we're selling a really good chase very short, but how much can you say about two cars chasing each other? The crash is the big thing. Uh, Urban's badly injured. Um, Damon sort of gets away. Yeah. Um, his boss, I think his boss is, um, Urban's boss is arrested because Landy's given them the uh, evidence and Bourne goes to find the daughter, Nesky. Mm. He's holding a gun, but he's... uh, She's not... She's scared, but... I don't know why he's got the gun like that, but... 
<laughs> yeah, you yeah you walk in thinking like don't you know, be scared. Don't, don't guy be sc- covered in blood pointing a gun at you. Yeah, it's, it's tell, it telling you that he's the one who killed your parents. Oh, but, oh, great. <laughs> but don't be scared. Have you got any ice cream? You know, um, he, he says that. I know he says that um, she's older than he thought she'd be. He doesn't know how long it's been. But the full flashback was it was kind. It was. Um, it, it wasn't the, tra- it, the it wasn't like the first film with the training mission. He was there to cover Brian Brian Cox's tracks. Mm. Basically, they knew what had been done. The money had been stolen, and that's it. Really, born she cries and born I, quietly. I, I I can't help but think she he's probably just traumatized this poor girl. Probably, <laughs> you know, just for like, mean, you know. You can't imagine him leaving thinking, "Well, that's my good deed done for the day." <laughs> You know, I mean, I mean, I get, I get that. You know, it's like an you know, act of confession, and he needs to get it off his chest, and that. Like... But it's for his benefit, not hers. Yeah. It, it's like it's like the it's like the drunk, you know, like making amends to the wife he used to beat up or something, and it's like you're just reminded her, mate. Deal with your own guilt. Um. So yeah, now that's kind of the end of the film, and our reason I say that is we'll find out next week that the final scene in this is actually two thirds of the way through the Bourne ultimatum. Bourne rings Landy to just say, "Why were they still looking for him?" Landy, you know, talks to him about the, supplying the tape. They've certain settled it. She apologizes. It's off the record, and then she just says, "David Webb." Um, and he was born mm. eighteen months later than the Jason Bourne incarnation jason Bourne's slightly older than matt damon mm-hmm. david webb is slightly younger she says come in and talk and says get some rest you look tired and she looks mm. out the window it turns out he was there he's in new york all along and and and, and we'll find out which is halfway point of the, the next film but we don't you know in some respects you don't really need that doesn't yeah. matter you, if you chose not to watch the third film you don't lose anything it is an ending from this it could have been five minutes afterwards it wouldn't have been new york probably but that's it and that's it and i think all i really want to say about the film as my final thoughts is to echo what i said at the start i now believe this to be the stronger film out of the first two which i find odd with it not having a definitive ending but then i suppose the empire strikes back is my favorite star wars film so that can happen um i think the plotting's a bit more intelligent i think the fact that he has some memory but doesn't have all of it um is actually to the film's benefit. I don't think the third film is as well placed paced as the second. So from memory, it went one, two, three before, and it now goes two, one, three. But we'll challenge that next week. Terrific. Uh, on doesn't quite stand alone, but it's just it's probably at the moment in my head the first, the best part of the opening three films. What about you guys? Yeah. So for me. I- Obviously, big fan of the series. Um, I think it sort of re- reinvented, reinvigorated action thriller, spy thriller genre. Um, I think without it, perhaps we might not have had the Bond reboot that we did a few years down the line. Um, first film, hugely influential. Hugely influential. Um, but I think this is probably one of those. Obviously, really enjoyed the first one. Really enjoyed this one as well. Um, it kind of hits the ground running and doesn't really let up. Um, I think. This is one of those few examples of where not, not that the first film was bad, um, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's one of those ones that the, the sequel is, is a bit better. Um, like that, for me, it kind of that rarely happens. Um, but for me, this is like one of those sort of rare examples, really. Um, a sequel that kind of seems to outdo outdo the original or improves upon it. Um, but no, I had a great time with this one. Um, and no, I, I, I totally agree for sure. Um, 
but I, to be honest, I cannot remember where. <laughs> Again, um, I, I think I kind of, with the series, I saw the first three, um, and then I just missed, you know, missed out on on the on the follow-up films, and I didn't see the TV spin-off, unfortunately. Um, I think it was only cancelled after one series, or something along those lines. Um, so it does kind of get a little bit hazy for me. Um, so you know, this is all good for you know revisiting them on this on this show. Um, but no, for me, I enjoyed the first film. Really enjoyed this one. No let up from it. Um, but it seems to tie everything up, obviously, because when we come to the third film, they're a little bit like, right, how do we build on this? Um, but no, it's kind of good to sort of tie everything off. Um, yeah, before, central performances are fantastic. Um, Joan Allen is, is brilliant. Like she doesn't, you know, she just kicks ass left, right, and centre. Doesn't let up. Really determined. Um, doesn't put up with anybody, anybody's bullshit. Um, Carl Urban, great in his, you know, before he was famous type role. Um, I think he's kind of known as more quite physical actor. And um, we see a little bit of it here as well. Uh, Michelle Monaghan as well. Um, as you as you said at the top of the show, a bit kind of Gerard Butler with with a kind of almost cameo, but she gets a little bit of screen time here. Um, but it's it's amazing how star how quickly her star rises um, in in the years after this film. Um, Julia Styles, fantastic. Um, and she, as I say, as I mentioned, she's kind of known for a lot of these teen roles, a lot of teen romantic sort of roles, um, sort of very chick flick type roles. Um, and then sort of progressed to kind of more serious drama and, and TV as well. Um, I think she was in a series called Riviera a couple of years ago now. Perhaps Are you talking quite... about Joan Allen? Uh, no, uh, Julia Styles. Oh, sorry. sorry. I was no, that's OK. Um, you know, Joan Allen, like, she's great in this film. I think um, this, something as well that this film... It was also Pat awesome. Nixon in Nixon. That's worth it. It's having like really strong female leads as well. That's something that I think perhaps the, this series certainly isn't... Um, it's something that's perhaps forgotten, I guess, about this film. I mean, Frank Patente, obviously, Jane Allen's fantastic. Um, Judith Stiles as well. But I think it's quite interesting how she was kind of known. This is why I sort of mentioned a film called um, Cry of the Owl, which is a remake of maybe 60s or 70s or 80s even, um, French adaptation of the original Patricia Highsmith novel, which is one of my favourite books of all time. Um, it's a really twisty, turny, psychological thriller-ish kind of drama, kind of, you know, it, it meshes, up, meshes up all the genres um, as she has wanted to do. Um, and she's, I thought with Julia Stiles, for example, she's known for kind of these really strong independent women. And then for her to come along in that kind of role as somebody who's kind of perhaps a bit more emotional, a bit wishy-washy, um, just kind of really, you know, and again, to show her in this, um, you know, just really shows her talents as an actor, for sure. Um, Brian Cox, I forgot his name there for a minute. Um, also really good in this. He's kind of slippery, quite slimy. Um, you kind of know he's obviously made a deal with the devil somewhere along the line. And you think, oh, you know, why is he being so defensive? Well, he's actually... You know, he's not, not you know, he's quite a naughty boy in this film. Quite naughty, shall we say? Um, but yeah, it's just really, really solid, like solid action, um, solid stunts as well. Amazing, like foot chases, car chases. Uh, doesn't really let up. So yeah, this is one of those sequels that's firing on all cylinders. Uh, yeah, so I think it's a bit of a step up. I mean, this film actually kind of made, I want to say, Green Gas more not a household name, but kind of made him more of an established um, director. Because uh, he would go on to do um, not only like the Bourne stuff, but also um, uh, Captain Phillips and, and films like that. Captain Phillips is superb. Mm. Mm, excellent, really excellent. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 oh, oh, and also uh, United. Um... United ninety three. Yeah. Um, yes, I think that was the kind green of thing that, that did kind green... of cement that shaky cam. Green aspect. room is the other one to mind. No, not green. Was it called Green Room? Green something. 
Green Zone. Green Zone, Green yeah. Zone. Green Zone yeah. that was it. Which he kind of has like a documentary kind of style yeah, to drama. Yeah, very handheld style, isn't it? Um, so, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, this kind of feels like, you know, the, you know, the series finds its footing. Um, it, it's a lot more confident. Um, it's got got a plot that is more accessible to most people, I think. Um, and, yeah, it just, it just sort, of, sort of cements like... Um, Matt Damon um, as Jason Bourne in, in, in their kind of action spiral. So um, I don't think there's much more to say that's not been said, really, other than um, I don't think I know too much about this film. Do you, Dave? No, I will say um, don't bother with News of the World. It got Oscar nominated, the Tom Hanks film, about um, uh, it was the, the same guy Jason Robards plays in All the President's Men is played by Tom Hanks in News of the World. I think it's, I can't remember the, much of the detail now, but it's not yeah, very good. I've seen that for a long time. It's not very good. But anyway, um, I was just changing the subject, Chris, there, because I'm a bit embarrassed. Um, <laughs> oh, God, how do I say this? Chris, I, didn't, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> it's all right for you, admit you, you, it. But no, I'm, neither do I. You, you, but you basically just scrimmed, uh, just uh, skimmed off Wikipedia, didn't you? I, I'm, I'm, I'm older. That's the thing. I'm the oldest of the three of us. I'm supposed to be like gently guiding you guys through. Not by that much, though. <laughs> no, but not not by that much. But guilt weighs heavy on me, Becca. Can you help? No. <laughs> Fair enough. No. Well, yeah, that kind of put me on the spot with the Anderson thing. I was like, oh, oh dates, times, oh, oh. Um, I've only got about four fun facts for you this week because I had real trouble just trying to find out. Um, and also I had like 10 minutes to crib, so I was like, quick, what can I find? Um, so obviously, as we discussed, not really a fun fact. Um, but yeah, obviously, Greengrass used many of sort of handheld cameras to really achieve that kind of gritty, realistic effect. Um Lots of uh, obviously all the, all the action and the stunts were kind of done in camera as much as possible, very minimal CGI, um, maybe a little bit here and there, um, but it was trying to do it pretty much for, for real practical effects as much as he could. Um, and I think this, and as you mentioned, in 1993, um, and you know, other, other sort of films that he's known for very much for that sort of what's now dubbed shaky cam, but is a little, doesn't really do it justice, really. Um, and obviously, that would go on to impact arguably Clean Royale when we got the Bond reboot. A few years later in 2006. Um, fun fact number two, um, apparently all the events in the film were kind of shot in the reverse order of location. For example, like the Moscow scenes were shot first and the scenes in India were shot last, um, which I think is quite interesting. Um, fun fact number three, um, this is a bit of a long one. Um, let's have a look. So, yeah, not surprisingly, Doug Lyman was replaced as director with the Bourne Supremacy and the Bourne Ultimatum, but at the 11th hour, we're still scrambling. Um left open for the film franchise. Um, Paul Greengrass obviously had a meeting with Matt Damon and the two came up with a new ending for the for the third film, uh, for the second film. Um, and they also received permission to shoot it and it would cost $200,000. Um, obviously, Matt Damon was filming Ocean's 12 at the time. Um, so he had to kind of leave that early to go and do this one. Um, and then it was only two weeks before the films came out in America. So When did you it, film Team America then? Because he was brilliant <laughs> you, at that. Did you do that in between? Yeah. 
he obviously didn't. I don't think he did a voice for that one, did he? I think. No, no. Do you know what they, 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 they didn't, didn't like? This. They didn't intend to like portray him as thick. What happened? No, was I think it was, it was the way the his marion- No, the, the marionette came back special. looking. Yeah, the marionette came at looking like that, and they went, "Oh, let's just lean into let's it. Let's just leave him out." And yeah, because yeah. I, I can't remember if he actually did a voice in it or not. That you know, that wasn't his. He might have had another character's voice. Yeah. Um. So that's not even how we go talking about puppets. Oh my god! If we ever do like South Park or whatever, then we're gonna have to do it because it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think his you know his puppet was kind of sculpted, and he did look a little bit. Yeah, something suspect. went wrong, and it came out looking a and bit. It came out looking special. how he did, and yeah. he was like, "Man, damn it!" And then that how that's how that was born. But obviously now hugely offensive. So I really apologise for that. Um, yeah, fun fact number four today. I don't have five. I'll try again next week. Um, when this film was being made, obviously there's no intention of another sequel, so they tried to wrap everything up um, in a nice little package. Um, so obviously <laughs> when the third came around. Nice Simpsons quote. <laughs> yeah, this is package. Um, and I think that was on the other day. Um, so yeah, obviously when the third film comes around, they kind of had to work out, you know, how they're going to make around for that one. Um, so that's my really rubbish four fun facts that aren't even remotely fun. So sorry about that, folks. So I'll try again next week. Um, and also try not to slow things down by going on a Tangent for an hour. Fun fact: Becca really does enjoy uh, Thunderbirds. Yes, I do. Yeah. Go and listen to that Jerry Anderson podcast. I can't recommend it highly enough. Basically, that and Bond are two favourite things. And anime as well. And literature. And music and art. Yeah, but that's all vague, isn't it? Literature. And dogs. I mean, specific and and properties. Uh, what else do I enjoy? Uh, try, I want to try and get out my bike at some point. <laughs> That might be nice. Especially now the weather's getting nicer. Becca likes yes. riding. Uh, no, thank you very much. Anyway. <laughs> I want to ride my bike. Uh, you're do. like finished. Bicycle. Bicycle. We finished yes, I'm finished fact? now with my fun facts. Thank you. As for social media, you can find me at the Pastor Kid 1976 on Twitter. Hey, you can find, uh, well, me on Cinema Talks. Um, you can also find all your uh, episodes on uh, Podbean. Uh, which is on uk as well. You can find it all in there. Uh, you can find us, Do You Expect Us to Talk, on Facebook. Just type in Do You Expect Us to Talk. On Twitter, we are at Expect Us to Talk. Also on YouTube, Do You Expect Us to Talk. Um, yeah, we're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and anywhere you like to get us podcasts. Um, wherever you are, what platform you're on, please do give us a lovely rating, preferably five stars. And a nice review that helps us to um, attract more listeners and helps us to go higher in the ratings. Although I think that it reminds me, Angus Deaton years ago, the guy who used to present Have I Got News For You and that, he won Best Newcomer 15 years into his career. If we suddenly take off now, it's getting a bit, it's getting, getting a bit late in the day, really, isn't it? <laughs> we have been going for a while now, haven't we? So I think because yeah, yeah, we started around the same time as JBR. Yeah, they were a few months ahead of us. Yeah. But we've done a few more episodes now. We have, yes. Moving on. Well, they, they are on a bit of a break. They are on a bit of a break. Up to see them back soon. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, the, they're not the podcast I would ever do. Otherwise, I would have done it. But oh, yeah, I, yeah, we're, we're very, all different, aren't we? We're all I different. I do very much respect what they do. I do. We're all different. Every, I think so. We started out with Bond and we've moved on needs, to other series. So. Every property needs its fan cast, and every. Do you know what I mean? And and I think I think they're the fan cast, and I I love that they exist. Yeah, definitely. It was. I think certainly for me anyway. They're one of like the biggest influences. I think what was it? Um, now playing JBR, um, playing, a few others. Yeah, no. How did this get made? 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I still count it as a punk. You know, it's one of our sort of biggest influences, definitely. And I think, you know, we're still doing. Uh, you're still in touch with loads of people from JBR, definitely. Um, Tom, Chris, and like, like for example, this is like the three year. This week was our third three year anniversary since the Majesty's Fifty uh, trip to Pitts Glory in 2019. So we were just like, oh, do you remember this? Or do you remember that? Or um, it's the first time meeting. It's created. A, it's created a community as well. Well, it has. So, yeah, community has grown um, around it. So like you know, like we've got lots of lovely listeners who enjoy listening to us um, whenever we put our show up. Um, but yeah, it's created a really nice sort of community around it. Uh, you know, and, and the same with other podcasts that you listen to as well. I mean, there's like Kermode and Mayo. They've obviously they've left the BBC and, and branched out on on their own um, with their own Kermode and Mayo take. And there's the community, the book up around entertainment has now followed them over to the new one. Um, yeah, any any podcast or thing like that, there's a fan community around it, which I think is just it's so nice. You know, especially after the last couple of years, we've all been quite sort of divided and. And isolated and it kind of brings everyone together so no yeah it's great to it's great to respect your listeners so uh that's it fuck off <laughs> <laughs> screw you no, no. so what's next becca yes do you expect to talk will return with the born ultimatum 